Welcome to Setsang. Can you please talk about the topic? What is your core message? Ah. I don't think I have a core message. Love is the only thing that has any value on this plane. And if you're willing to do what it takes to perceive love, I feel that you're on the right track. Every time we close, every time we contract, every time we defend ourselves, we cut ourselves off from love. And love is the most beautiful thing. It's just here. So I don't think there's a, a core message of any kind. Not really. Just a way of living life. The way of the heart. The beauty way. And so from birth to adulthood, we've developed a heap of defenses, a heap of ways of closing down, protecting ourselves from feeling. And all of these things that we've developed are now in the way of perceiving love. And so if you're willing to remove all the obstacles, if you're willing to remove all the things that close you, keep you defended, then love is always here. And it's very beautiful. And when you perceive love, the way that that affects the mind is you want to take care of everyone and everything. And that's very beautiful. If there was more love on this planet, the planet would be a very different planet. Humanity would be very different. There wouldn't be any greed. <laughs> there wouldn't be any wars or terrorism. Love builds bridges to everything. And the mind tends to burn them. So tune in. Drop everything and open up. Start to find the beauty inside of you. Start to find the treasure, the true treasure, the true jewel of consciousness, love. It's always here. It's if you're not perceiving it, it's because somehow you're closed. Somehow you're not open. Have a look and see. What is it in you that's not open? What is it in you that's closed? Open up. And so I say, openness counts for everything. Because openness allows you to perceive love. Allows you to heal the wounds of the heart allows you to get out of the way enough for enlightenment to occur. Openness counts for everything. And it's up to you. We're talking about true rebellion. You start taking down your defenses. You start 
removing the belief systems that contract you. You're rebelling against your own mind. You're rebelling against the programming that was put in there. This is the true rebellion. Up to you. Are there any questions? Any statements? Any challenges to this teaching today? The first question is from a viewer. Why is love the only thing that has value in this plane? Well, if you haven't realized that yet, you haven't really looked. Everything else um, that the mind does is kind of a form of suffering because the mind is programmed to desire things to be different than how they are. Now, if we have a look at what that is, that is resistance to what is and all forms of resistance to what is, is suffering. And so we're not really programmed to be happy, we're programmed to be unhappy in a lot of ways. And then when we look at that, that's just a mind construct, something we create with the way we think, and the way we think is not even real, because it's imagined, all thoughts are imagined. Love is actually real, and it's here. It's just that people put so many things in the way of it, they don't perceive it. It's always here. It's the true jewel of consciousness. It's so, so beautiful. Jesus said, love thy neighbor. He didn't really say how to. Open up, drop all your defenses. Remove all the belief systems that contract you. And there's love. It's here. <laughs> and that's up to you. Because you create your reality with the way you think. Nobody can do it for you. Only you. How can I know if I'm truly open or just pretending and fooling myself? It is very difficult because the mind has an amazing ability to uh, fool itself, to lie to itself. It can uh, create all sorts of uh, imaginary things with its ability to imagine. And so being able to discern the difference between what is real and what your mind is fabricating can be quite difficult. The one thing about what is real is it doesn't get stale. Anything the mind produces through imagination gets stale after a while. And so in looking for what is real and what is not real, staleness isn't a bad test. Love is so fresh, so beautiful. Silence, true silence is lovely too. The mind's production of silence is not. It, you get stale. <laughs> it's difficult because you're so used to listening to the mind. You're so used to believing it. Really? Do you want to believe it? Why not doubt it a little bit and see what is really real? It's with doubt that we start to challenge the mind 
and all the programming that was put into us by uh, genetics and our parents and our schooling and our government and whoever else because we didn't program us all the programming was put in externally and it's worth having a look at and it's worth doubting anything that's not your own direct experience put in a maybe column take the power out of the belief Papaji once said that he hadn't met anyone ready for his final teaching. Do you have a final teaching and what would it be? The final teaching is never said in words. It is in silence. The final teaching is actually the Buddha field that someone who is awake has. And if you are ready, if you are ready, if you have done the work to prepare the mind, just being in that Buddha field is enough for the transmission of the lamp to occur, for enlightenment to happen. The final teaching is always the presence in silence and stillness. The following question is from a viewer. Are you speaking about the love that is when one is out of the way and not just for others? Yeah, it's not personal. Love is not personal. People think it's personal because the I claims it. But that's like something imagined claiming something that is real because the I is imagined. Take away your imagination and the I is not real. Love is real. But love's not personal. It's just here. You can say, oh, I love. Oh, really? That's um, a bit of a false claim in a way because that that's imagined can't really claim that that's real. There's love, yeah, and maybe you feel like you love someone, but really what you're experiencing is love. And love is non-personal, it just is. And it's here, it's very beautiful, it's here. All you've got to do is get out of the way and discover it. It's here. I've heard you talk about one of your teachers whose only teaching was just be happy. <laughs> Does this work and do you teach this also? No. <laughs> I mean, I understand that, uh, but you see, he doesn't say how to. Uh, the teacher was a Chinese physician that I had as an acupuncture teacher. And he was a Taoist. And to everything that happened, he would just say, be happy. And it was very beautiful, but there was no indication as to how to be happy. And it, as long as there's an I in there, there's, the happiness is uh, rather elusive. Because the I is constantly wanting things to be different, which is discontentment. It's not happiness. Or it's getting attached to something and fearful of losing it, which is not happiness is discontentment and so be happy the really only way to be happy is for the eye to diminish and in practicing openness in practicing taking down defenses and belief systems you're diminishing the eye and so the happier you can get 
the less you are as an I. But that's up to you. It's not part of what most people do. Most people are looking to become bigger, better and more powerful, which is uh, personal growth. Spiritual growth is the opposite. It's about becoming less than. It's about diminishing the I until there's just nothing here because it's all imagined anyway. But that's up to you. It's, you've built the sand castle, now take it down. <laughs> it's going to fall down anyway. Everyone dies. Take it down before you die physically and wake up to your own true nature. Become free. The following question is from a viewer. How to tell the difference between feeling that I love and just love? Feeling that I love and just love, does it really matter? Does it really matter? Why not just be okay with what is? If you're feeling love, be okay with that. The, uh, the question would take you away from the experience of love because it puts you back in the mind. It's up to you. <laughs> People get so complex. They want to understand. They want to know things. And that's in the way as well. The only thing that a person needs to know to get free is surrender. There's nothing else you need to know. Let go. You learn surrender by practicing acceptance and let go. And that's the only thing that a human being needs to learn. Unconditional surrender. If love's there, it's there. If it's not there, it's not there. Open up. Keep opening up. Keep taking things away. Keep whittling it away until there's nothing left. Until there's no obstacles in the way. And on the way through witness the whole thing because as we witness things they dissolve as well it's only in unconsciousness that things continue stay aware stay aware of what your mind's doing witness it stay aware of everything witness it this is this is the way The following question is from a viewer. Does bantering and teasing encourage openness? <laughs> no, but it definitely gives you an opportunity to practice uh, surrender. You see, you look at um, life. Every time we contract we or go into resistance or take offense or whatever, turn ourselves into a victim, we create a world of suffering for ourselves. But every time we contract, there is an opportunity to see what's contracting us and there's an opportunity to actually surrender. There's an opportunity to open up. There's an opportunity to remove the belief system that supports that contraction. So the people who tease us, the banter, gives us opportunities like devices that show us where we're stuck. And so rather than avoiding it, use it as a teaching to show you what's happening inside of you. It's all good. See, the whole world can be your teacher if you let it. 
Every time you contract, there's a place there that you're unconscious in. Become conscious. Have a look. What's contracting you? Open up. What belief systems are contracting you? What expectations weren't met? Undo those belief systems. Become free. You create your reality and you can undo it. You can. Gautama the Buddha is said to have taught that when true love is present, it will be there even for someone who is sawing off your limbs. It seems like an extreme example, but do you think this is possible? It's not only possible, it's absolutely true. If you're open, love is there. It's not personal, it's there. And it affects the mind in such a way that the mind feels that it loves even the one that might be hurting, hurting you. It's, uh, the only thing that stops us from perceiving love really is close you, contract, when we contract, when we go into resistance, when we get defensive. Have a look and see for yourself. I don't know if... Um, <laughs> I've never experienced someone cutting off my arms and, and <laughs> so I, don't, I can't really answer the question uh, with agreement or disagreement in a way but I know that when love is there even the people who are trying to hurt you, you love even when things are going wrong, you love if you're open enough, if you're undefended enough The next question is from a viewer. Is only feeling with no accompanying change in belief healing? No, not really, because uh, if we don't change the way we think, we're going to recreate the wounding even if we do feel it and heal it. That's the, that's the problem. Healing has two aspects to it. One is the willingness to meet whatever pain is inside us, whatever wounding is inside us. That willingness is a requirement, but there's also a requirement that we don't reproduce the same wounding with the way we think. So unless the belief systems that were involved in creating the wounding in the first place, which will always be victim orientated, aren't challenged and undone, we're likely to recreate whatever wounding has been there even if we have healed it by feeling it. I've been practicing meditation and self-inquiring with the hope of waking up for years, but I'm not yet enlightened. What might I be doing wrong? My question to you would be, are you actually hanging out with someone who's awake or are you trying to do it by yourself? because someone who's awake is going to help you uh, wake up. Trying to do it by yourself is pretty difficult. The ego is an amazing survival mechanism. It's a million years old. It's brilliant at it. Someone who's already awake, who's been through it, knows how it survives and will help you get through. First of all, by providing a Buddha field that you can actually expand your mind in and disappear in. Secondly, they know all the traps. If you really want to wake up, find someone who's awake and hang out with them.
the next question. Why did you choose to teach a Buddhist path to enlightenment? Uh, my teacher, Osho Rajneesh, spoke so kindly and so beautifully about Gautama the Buddha. I fell in love with him. I fell in love with his teachings. And I also started to recognize clearly that his sutras, what he was teaching was true. Because after Satori's began, they became very obvious that what the Buddha was teaching was absolutely right. It was just um, a vehicle or a methodology towards uh, higher consciousness that had worked for two and a half thousand years. Why should I create a new one? <laughs> when there's one already there, a great vehicle that's already there. Uh, the only side of Buddhism that I uh, thought would, could be a little different is uh, in, instead of um, being life negative, being life positive. In other words, celebrating life. Instead of denying life, enjoying it, celebrating it. Which is another thing that I picked up from Osho Rajneesh. <laughs> so they say that um, Buddhism in some degrees is bitter and Taoism in some degrees is sweet. Well, I like the sweet. <laughs> I think life should be celebrated. We have this amazing opportunity to be here. We have this vehicle, this spacesuit to dance with. Why not dance? Why not play? Why not squeeze the juice out of life? Why not find ourselves as truth? The only thing that needs to be denied or renounced is this. Nothing else. In Buddhism, they talk about some people not being able to wake up in this lifetime. Do you think that anybody can wake up? I don't know. See what comes into play is karma. Some people call it grace. And now we're heading into the unknown. I just don't know. When someone says, uh, by grace, from my perspective, all they're saying is, well, I don't really know. <laughs> But people want to know. They want to know because they want to control. They want to manipulate. So they want to know. Ah, the only thing you need to know is how to surrender unconditionally. That's all you need to know. The next question is from a viewer. Why does time pass quickly if there's less mind, yet slowly when we think? Well, time is mind-made. Uh, there is only now. This is it. There is only now. Time is a product of uh, thinking. There is only now. This is the only time that is real. There is no past. There is no future. There is only now. This is real. If we were uh, locked in a, in, a, in a darkened room, a black room, ah. Uh, how would we know what time it is? It's just a mind, it's a mind thing, it's a mind construct. There's only now, it's always now. It's quite nice now. 
<laughs> the more you move into the moment and being aware of what is real in the moment and nothing you think is real by the way the less less time that you 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 perceive less you perceive this mental understanding of time the more present you are there is no time there is only now it's very beautiful What does it mean to go beyond the mind? Okay. To go beyond the mind, to go beyond psychology. Well, the good news is we're not the mind. But most people think they are the mind and the body. But that's just not true. There's something that is aware of the mind. Something that is aware that is here always. That is beyond the mind. And when that discovers itself, when awareness turns on itself and stays on itself, that is enlightenment. And then instead of living as a mind and a body, as an I, there's existing as beingness, our own true nature. Beyond the mind is what we really are. The mind is fraudulent. It claims to be us, but it is not. Find that that is aware of the mind. Find that that is pure consciousness, and you've found your true self. How do, how do I not lose myself in psychology while trying to undo the mind? It's pretty difficult because you've been trained to problem solve at school, 12 years of it, or thereabouts. And so most of human adults are problem solvers. And psychology is all about problem solving in a lot of ways. What works is witnessing the mind. You just watch it. Just watch the mind. Just develop the silent witness that just watches because when you become aware of things, they dissolve. Just witness, just watch. If you're going to do psychology on yourself, you're basically just going into another dream. You're just lost in another dream. You don't get out of dreams by dreaming. Start witnessing the mind, that works. Why do you say that meditation is the answer to every question? <laughs> because every question is nonsense. <laughs> and meditation takes you to silence and stillness, which is beautiful and real. <laughs> the question, who am I, is the only real question. Who am I, or what am I, or who's aware? This is a good question. The answer to which cannot be put by the mind, can only be known through the direct experience of that that is aware of the mind, becoming aware of itself. And that is a really good question. 
who am I really? Discount the idea that you're a mind, that you're an eye, that you're a body, and find out who you really are. Sometimes I forget that you are being this and I project that you're like me, an ego-based person. Did you ever do this with your teachers and how can I stop projecting onto you? Of course I did because that's what the ego does. It projects its understandings onto everything and understands things from its limited knowledge. The only way that you can really get to understand someone who's awake is to wake up. Because all the reference points that you understand your life with as an ego aren't there anymore. The ego thinks it's been somewhere and it thinks it's going somewhere. Beingness is just here. It doesn't have a past or a future because that's just rubbish. That's another dream. And so ego-based reality and being-based reality are quantumly different. There's no connection. One is real, one is not. Asking the question, who is aware or what is aware, following the eye back to its source, can show you your true nature. What it does then is it shows up the eye as absolutely false. You were never an I. You never could have been. It was an imagined character that you put together with your imagination. You are pure beingness. You are pure awareness. Without a thought, you are. Before a thought begins, you are. The following question is from Craig on Facebook. When you let everything go and dedicated yourself to being, did you cast off all worldly belongings? I gave my life away, Craig. I was prepared to die. Whatever it took, I was willing to do. I gave my life to truth. And another way of saying that is I gave my life to God and thy will be done, not my will any longer. You see, people, they want to wake up, but then they want to have something after awakening. That's not how it works. The ego surrenders unconditionally. No conditions. You're putting yourself in the hands of something from the perspective of the eye of something that could kill you. You don't know. You don't know if you'll ever have anything ever again. You don't know. You've given it all away. And so it's not that uh, physically gave anything away really, but I gave my life to truth. And everything lost got lost anyway. <laughs> everything left anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the whole idea 
the whole idea of being attached to things is just prison. There's so much freedom in unconditional surrender, but it's frightening so people don't get involved in it. They're frightened of losing control. They're frightened of losing this or that. And the deal is really simple. Everything for truth and nothing for you, as an I. Everything for God and nothing for you, as an I. And it's the best deal in town. You were speaking of discounting the idea that I'm a body and a mind. What's the best way to do this? Well, you can't discount the idea that you're a body and a mind, not really. Um, and be successful at it. You can let it go temporarily, but it'll come back. If you really want to be free, you have to dis have awareness discover itself. You have to wake up. There is no other way to be free. The ego resurrects itself over and over again. Unless awareness is aware of itself. And then it just can't. Because it's just obviously not real. So you really want to get rid of the I. Wake up. Turn awareness onto itself. Remove all the obstacles that are in the way of that. That's best. The idea of discounting, or the mind discounting itself and discounting the body, is just another dream. It's not real. I know somewhere within that you are awakened, but it still makes me uncomfortable when you psychologically provoke people in your satsangs. It seems mean. How do I separate from this discomfort? Just witness? What are you willing to pay for for freedom? What, what price are you willing to pay to be free? Every time you contract, you put yourself in prison and that prison is where you suffer. Every time you disagree with life, every time you resist, you suffer, but that's your doing. From time to time, I set up devices so people can practice surrender, practice acceptance, because really it's the only thing we need to learn. And we learn unconditional surrender by practicing acceptance. And so it's a spiritual practice. Everything you've got is going to get taken off you anyway. Why not do it sooner than later? Why not give up now? The Bodhi tree that Buddha sat under didn't mind whether he woke up or not. But the Buddha woke up because he surrendered unconditionally. He didn't do anything. He just surrendered unconditionally, which is a non-doing. The hardest thing for us to learn. But we learn it through the practice of acceptance. And how can we practice acceptance unless things aren't going our way?
following question is from a viewer. If I'm not quite okay with something yet, should I stay in the situation and accept it more? Or is it okay to accept what I can and exit the situation? <laughs> it sounds like a trap, that question. Uh, I don't know what the situation is. <laughs> that could be taken too many ways. I think I'll leave that one. <laughs> the next question is as follows. I've heard teachers say to call off the search. What is your understanding of this statement? Well, it's very simple. When you're in the presence of someone who's awake, you call off the search. Because basically, if you stop seeking at that point, you may find yourself as truth because you're in a Buddha field. But you don't call off the search while you're looking by yourself. As a matter of fact, it is the search and the thirst for truth that has the, gives you the opportunity to come home. But when you're in the presence of someone who's awake, you let go of everything. You let go of the search as well. And in that letting go, enlightenment can occur. But until, until then, if you're by yourself, every endeavor, everything needs to be put into finding yourself as truth. Because if you call it off, and you're still ego-based, you will remain ego-based if you're not in the presence of someone who's awake. The presence of someone who's awake is like a doorway into your own true nature. It's the gift of satsang. You speak of meditation, self-inquiry, and the game of zero as practices. What is the most important practice a seeker should commit to in the pursuit of higher consciousness? The practice of openness. Because it takes away everything, prepares the mind for enlightenment, allows you to perceive heart, allows you to feel, heal the wounds of the heart. The practice of openness from my perspective, is the most important spiritual practice you can have. And it's the practice that most people don't do. They practice resistance. They practice trying to know, trying to control. What about practicing and let go? What about practicing openness? What about supporting the heart? Up to you. You create your reality with the way you think. You're either going to practice openness or you're not. Up to you. <laughs> How can the path of love lead to knowing oneself as truth? Well, if you're perceiving love, that means you're wide open which means the obstacles that are in the way of enlightenment are not there. Check it out. The way to live this life is to wear your heart on your sleeve and to be always vulnerable, to be always open. And a mind that can do this is a mind that has prepared itself for enlightenment. 
it's a mind that stays equanimous. The following question is from a viewer. I feel dense around a potential housemate candidate. Should I keep where I live a sanctuary or should I practice being open to this density? Have a look for yourself what supports higher consciousness and what doesn't. Always be involved in what supports higher consciousness and try to avoid what creates lower consciousness because the only way out of this samsara life uh, of basically suffering <laughs> is enlightenment and higher consciousness supports that. So whatever supports higher consciousness, whatever supports your clarity, whatever supports you in getting free, support that. I don't teach people, generally speaking, who are in monasteries or ashrams who have sanctuary. I teach lay people. I teach people who have families, people who have a job that they have to keep, people who are in the marketplace. But we still need sanctuary because without sanctuary, we don't have the clarity to see what's in our way. We don't have the clarity to remove the obstacles that are in the way. Sanctuary is important. Always support higher consciousness. Always. What did you do to feel your thirst for truth? Is this something that you were born with? or something that was developed? There is a good chance I was born with it. I've always um, been interested in the meaning of life, the purpose of life, as far back as I can remember. And I haven't found any meaning of life yet or any purpose to life. It just is life, it just is. But we want to find purpose, we want to find meaning because the ego wants to feel secure. I can't find a purpose or a reason. There's just life. Our need to know makes us feel secure if we think we know, but the truth is we don't know. And it's okay to not know. In Buddhism, they talk about having a beginner's mind. And a beginner's mind is someone who doesn't know. And because they don't know, existence can show them. The moment we think we know, we're actually lost. We've closed ourselves off. So the truth is we're living in not knowing all the time. But we try to know so we'll feel safe. But there's nothing safe. Everything really is unknown. And unknown is okay. How do I develop a beginner's mind? Well, you had one when you were a kid. And then you got taught that you had to know things. So you pass exams and get 
ahead in school. You found out that knowing made you feel uh, safe, feel secure. And so to develop a beginner's mind, you actually have to realize that you don't know. Because we don't. You start finding beingness itself, you start having satories, and it's really obvious you don't know. Because even what you find can't be described, not really. <laughs> as long as we think we know, we're lost, we're stuck, we've closed ourselves off. Just try, practice not knowing. I don't know, I don't know. And, and you'll find you're actually finally being honest, because we don't. How would I know if the teachings of a spiritual teacher are authentic? Does it make any difference if they work? A false teacher can give good teachings just as well as a, a true teacher. But what's a true teacher? A true teacher is someone who's awake. A true teacher is someone who's speaking from their own direct experience in the moment. But even if the teacher's not true, even if the teacher's not away, the teaching might be good. If they're teaching surrender, if they're teaching acceptance, if they're teaching the way of the heart, if they're teaching openness, great. If they're teaching self-inquiry, great. Teaching meditation, great. Teaching yoga, great. Tai Chi, great. It doesn't really matter. It's up to you. Put your totality into whatever you do. That works. The next question is from the viewer. Why is surrender a freedom? Most people think of freedom as a choice of the mind, but surrender is a giving up of mind. How is that freedom? Well, you think you have freedom of choice, but you didn't program you. Uh, your genetics did, your parents did, your schooling did, your uh, religion did, your government did. You never programmed you. All your programming came externally, so you never had any freedom in the first place. You want freedom, you've got to get out of the mind. You've got to know yourself as truth. And surrender is the way. And that's up to you. <laughs> You see, in beingness, there is no fear. Fear belongs to the mind. You know yourself as truth. There's no fear. You're free. There is no later. You're free. There is no before. You're free. There is now. You're free. There's no freedom in thinking you have a future. There's no freedom in thinking you have a past. These are prisons as well. They're, and they're delusions because they're not real. Usually the projection to the future is one of either hope or fear, both usually combined together. This is a nightmare. How about just now? Just now, without a thought, here and now. This is freedom. Knowing yourself is truth. Freedom. No limitations. an absence of the one that is actually imprisoned. 
the I, an absence of that delusion, freedom. I found books, Dharma talks, and ancient texts helpful, but feel my greatest and hardest teachings in life will be from learning by direct contact with my masters. From your experience, would you agree with this? I think like everybody else, I began by collecting knowledge, thinking that somehow that would raise my consciousness levels towards enlightenment. That's an absolute fallacy. No amount of knowledge learnt from books set anyone free. No amount of knowledge from books ever healed a wound of the heart. No amount of knowledge from books ever showed someone heart. And so there's a fallacy there. We were brought up to believe that if we studied books and were able to repeat answers, we'd get somewhere. But in higher consciousness, that's just not true. You really want to know, you actually have to practice something that shows you. Meditation, self-inquiry, the practice of openness, these things work. The practice of witnessing the mind, this works. But these are practices. These aren't knowledge. Knowledge is the booby prize. You really want to find out, practice something that works. How to change from a dualistic focus and live more freely beyond the mind? <laughs> dualistic process is uh, you as an I seeing the world as separate from you. That's dualism. Uh, you know, that's how most humans live. The only way that you can get out of that is to wake up, to know yourself as truth, to become enlightened. And the eye never becomes enlightened. It actually dies. It gets out of the way. That that's aware of the mind, aware of the eye, becomes aware of itself. That's the only way out. There is no other way. <laughs> you can't intellectually get yourself out. That's not possible because that's just another dream. And dreams are not real. following question is from a viewer. My friend who seeks higher consciousness seems to avoid his old friends or keeps barriers to access. Is that openness or just him supporting his practice? Well, I don't know him, so I don't know. I don't know what he's up to. He could be up to anything. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Ask him. Find out for yourself. Is knowing yourself as truth the only freedom there is? Can there be a level of freedom within the mind? Not that I know of. The mind itself is a prison, the bars of which are made of fear. The next question. How can I give up the desires of 
what I want and just be happy. <laughs> well, you probably can't <laughs> just be happy. You see, the desire to be happy is dissatisfaction itself. That's you making yourself unhappy by desiring happiness. Find that that is not that doesn't have desires. Find that that is just aware. Find that. You can't, you can't be happy inside the mind. It's not programmed for it. You have to go beyond the mind. Find that that's aware of the mind. That's best. I've heard that a person should seek a master who has an absence of craving, aversion and delusion. Do you think these are the qualities I should look for in a teacher? If you come to someone who's claiming to be awake and your mind starts disappearing and you find that there's nothing but emptiness, you're in the right place. Is it true that a teacher points us towards a new way of being in the world? Oh, I can do. Teacher can point you to a new way of being, but the problem is you don't make it. Um, the question is, uh, uh, is it true that a teacher points us to a new way of being in the world? Yeah, but you don't make it. If we're talking about enlightenment, you as an I don't make it. You don't get to that party because you're false. You're not real. What's real is that that's aware of the I and that's who you are. And that's always there. So it's not like um, suddenly you're at your final destination because you've been looking for it. No, you're already at your final destination. You're just not aware of it. That's all. Your awareness is on the mind and on the I instead of on itself. Turn awareness onto itself. Find yourself. And then the I disappears. Because the eye is just a figment of your imagination based on reference points from the past projected to the future and a few belief systems. All imagined. None of it real. Not one bit. You are pure beingness and you are here now. <laughs> is it important to resonate with a teacher's message in order to understand it? <laughs> the only thing that's important is to learn surrender nothing else if you can learn surrender you've learned what you need to know whether you resonate with someone who's awake or you don't resonate with someone awake is irrelevant Surrender is what counts. If someone is awake, they have a Buddha field. In that Buddha field, you can find yourself as truth. That's all you need to know. Die in that Buddha field. Find yourself as truth. It's not personal. It's never personal. 
The idea of personal is just a fallacy in itself, because the I is not real. Who you are is before the I. Who you are is vast everythingness, vast nothingness. Find that. Find that that's aware, and find this to be so. There is nothing else to do here. Get free. Do everything that you possibly can to get free which involves a revolution against the way you've been programmed. Your mind is the only obstacle in the way of you knowing yourself as truth. The way it's been programmed is probably going to keep you trapped. Watch the mind, witness it, undo it, surrender it, accept life as it is and become free. This is up to you. Nobody can do that for you. Your willingness is what will take you. Your unwillingness will keep you stuck in lower consciousness. Your choice. You're creating your reality with the way you think. Remove all obstacles in the way of freedom. All belief systems that create contraction in you. Undo everything until there's nothing left in the way. And then you've done whatever you can to support enlightenment, and that's all you can do. It will either happen or it will not happen. It is by grace. Anybody who thinks they know or says they know does not know. We create, <laughs> we create our own reality by the way we think. Who's aware of the thinker? What's aware of the thinker? This is interesting. Thank you for satsang. Good to see you brave hearts here today.